and welcome to another episode of the Colby Cast, your place for community and conversation about pop culture and storytelling. On this episode, Caleb, Luke, and I are going to go over our thoughts on Wakanda Forever, the newest Marvel movie. Uh, hello and welcome back, Luke. Hi, thanks for having me. Thanks for being here and not in another state somewhere, so it's good to have you. It doesn't happen often. Well, you're right about that. And hello, Caleb. Hello. All right, so I feel like we do need to start the episode off with setting up some context. We saw Wakanda Forever on Sunday night. It was uh, uh, later in the evening or, or early evening show, so around 6 o'clock-ish Pacific time in Los Angeles. And the theater was packed. I didn't really expect it to be that packed. I, I knew it would be busy. But I didn't think it was going to be that packed on a late Sunday evening showing. I figured it would just be about half full. But no, the thing was full. And I feel like we need to share this because I don't know that it affected our enjoyment of the movie. But it was absolutely the worst theater experience that any of us have ever had. Am I right? Do, do you agree with me on that? I'm not even going to get into what happened but it was it absolutely affected my movie watching experience. It oh. made me like the movie less no. because I couldn't pay attention. Yes. It was just it just felt like the steady stream of distractions. Well, that's just because you have a pea-sized brain. Um I think for me, <laughs> it's more like a grape, but I see your point. A dried grape. Um <clears throat> I think the only experience that I have that would rival that was when I went to go see Venom 2, Let There Be Carnage. Why did you do that, first of all? Uh, because my friend's an idiot and he wanted to go see it <laughs> opening night. And we went with, I think, like seven of us. And I left it up to my friend to buy the tickets. And, of course, he buys, like, the second or third row in IMAX <laughs> on opening night for a terrible movie. And it was packed. And the experience was fine, but the movie was just terrible, and it was, like, right in front of me the whole time, and it gave me a headache. Well, first of all, let me say, it's really good to have you back. In 30 seconds, you managed to, <laughs> to say that your brother had a pea brain, brain, pea-sized brain, and calling your friend an idiot. So, man, you're just coming in guns blazing. So good to have you back. <laughs> uh, secondly, let, let's add a little bit more context to our context. And you alluded to it, Caleb, the the audience was so noisy and let me be clear i enjoy an active and fun theater audience like when we went to see no way home i enjoyed the cheering and the 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 energy that that kind of an audience brings personally i don't know about you guys but i really enjoy it um uh, when we saw Endgame, like there was like the audience experience there was so good and it was okay that we you know, you even miss a line or two because everybody's laughing so loud or, or uh, you know, yelling when, like, Cap says, um, uh, what's it called, uh, Avengers Assemble, right? Like, it was great. That was just electric. Our Wakanda Forever <laughs> audience was not that. It was crumpling popcorn bags. It was someone literally chewing on wood screws behind us, I think. There was someone eating popcorn so loud, it looks like somebody puts, like, nails in a blender. The greatest movie of all time as a 
perfect reference to our movie experience. Oh. Shrek 2. <laughs> they're going and they're going to Far, Far Away in the Onion and Donkey's in the back. Yes. And he just keeps making the same noise over and over, which I'm not going to annoy our listeners with. But if you guys have seen it, you're hearing it already. So that's how it felt for me. It felt like anytime there was a heavy moment, anytime there was a impactful conversation, someone's kicking the back of my seat. Mm -hmm. Someone's putting their feet up on the armrest. Mm -hmm. Someone's going, what did I miss? What did I miss? (laughs) In like the... Yeah, literally snoring. It was, it, I, I was waiting for Ashton Kutcher to show up and punk us. Like, that's what I was waiting for legitimately. I felt like I was looking at the camera like Jim in the office because it was just, I was like, okay, maybe they're just a little antsy at the beginning. I'm not going to be that guy. Yeah. But at one point when you're feeling warm socks, <laughs> that almost moist on the back of your elbow, it, it, I'd look back at him and if looks could kill. Some people pay good money for that, but you know you got you got it for free, so good for you. Um, I will excuse the little kids that were being annoying. Yes, because they, I they were little kids. I understand okay. it. Your okay. your parents didn't discipline you. I, I understand it, but I mean, the guy behind me was just kicking my chair constantly, and I did the classic like quick little look back over the shoulder, yeah. just like get a look at the guy. And then he just, he didn't care. We made eye contact. He didn't care. He kept kicking the chair. You know, we're, we're, we're talking a lot about the experience from behind the rows behind us, but there were other rows all over the theater that just seemed, it doesn't take nine minutes to pour popcorn mm-hmm. from one bag into the a box. It, there, was a, there, were, there were ringing phones. I don't understand. It was like a cursed audience and i've never had an experience like that in the same general area as that ringtone was happening someone's like like spotify started to play (laughs) and instead of turning it off and turning it down like a normal person would tap the screen and pause it this person tried to turn it down and went up oh wow that was the perfect like embodiment of this entire experience yeah, yeah And eventually they figured it out, but it, like you said, it was like a cursed experience. Like everybody was out to get everybody else. It was crazy, and it was like a perfect bubble around us. Yeah, I, I, it was it was absolutely remarkable in the worst way possible. But uh, and then and for everybody listening to us ranting about this, thank you. First of all, I'm hoping that we're getting this off our chest and, and it's making us feel. But I know it's making me feel better as I, as I'm talking about this, but. Um, for those of you who are listening to us, uh, we appreciate you, you, uh, you letting us do this. And, and we walked out of the, well, I guess we'll, we'll finish it up, but imagine this, imagine this is the, our experience with this movie, Black Panther, Wakanda forever, which is probably, and we'll, and we'll get into the movie now, um, probably one of the most, if not the emo- most emotional Marvel movie. I, I, I'm trying to think of it. Infinity War, I mean, but for real life connections, there's no rival to this movie. This movie is heavy and emotional, and there's so many long stretches of quiet time in this movie. And I was actually very grateful that a lot of it was in another language because I could actually read the words because I couldn't hear them talking. (laughs) So, but we walked, last thing about the theater experience, we walked out of the theater. 
And it was the three of us that watched it. Mom came along with us. Uh, for those of you uh, uh, that don't know who Mom is, it's my wife, Sandra. So uh, Mom was with us. And Brittany, Caleb, uh, your girlfriend, went and watched it. And we walked out and we all looked at each other and we all said practically the same thing. Like, what was up with that audience? That was just, it was, it was nuts. So uh, we have not talked about the movie, which is sort of weird because it's been like 24 hours and we've been around each other for about 24 hours and we are we've just been avoiding this subject it's it's so funny i that's literally what i've done i've avoided thinking about it i've avoided everything regarding that experience so that i can try and just consume what we actually saw on screen yeah. Yeah. because of the theater itself yeah now that we've gotten this all off of our chest i'm actually excited to talk about the movie itself because I, just to be completely blunt, I very much enjoyed it. Good. I was concerned that it wasn't going to be enough to do Chadwick Boseman justice. Yeah. Because he was just a angel on earth, right? Yeah. And just to have suffered in silence as many, as for as long as he did and still just portray this absolute strength on screen was inspiring and all this different stuff. So when they opened with it and pretty much closed with it, yeah. I was happy that they they weren't just laying the Black Panther to rest. Yeah. They were trying to pay homage to him as a person. Yes. And I love that was without a doubt my favorite parts of the movie and it was also the most heavy parts of the movie. Yeah. Uh just to piggyback on that real quick, there there is an important uh, point I wanted to make. Um, well, Luke, I want you to. I want to hear your th- general thoughts here on it. But before I, I go that direction, I was very grateful that yes, with the context of this extremely noisy audience, there was one very important section of the movie that they weren't noisy, and it was the beginning. Yeah. And it was the, um, well, the 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 beginning of the movie and the funeral. It was loud, so even if it was loud in the in the audience, it didn't matter because the film was loud. There was beautiful visuals, there was beautiful sounds, but then when they cut to the Marvel, um, you know, the Marvel intro. intro, when there was there was nothing. It was so quiet, and it's all Chadwick Boseman throughout the entire logo reveal, and. That that was like the one moment in the in our, our experience that you could hear a pin drop in the theater. Thank God, because if somebody started snoring or kicked, that would have just really, really, really ruined the beginning of that movie. And I think that they absolutely hit a home run with that whole thing that they put together. Because to me, it was like the movie, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and the audience all coming together to mourn and honor Chadwick Boseman, not just T'Challa, which they they decided to go in that direction and have him lose his life in the movie too. But it was a cathartic experience, and I think that Marvel fans in general will benefit from something like that because um, it was just a really beautiful uh, homage to him, and, and it just honored him. So I was very happy that the one part of the movie that the theater was quiet for was that part. And I thought that was wonderful. And I will admit, I did not shed one tear. I shed two. 
I really did. I know I really did one out of each eye uh, because that, especially at the um, the Marvel logo reveal, that really impacted me emotionally because that's a really really big deal. You're taking a lot of big characters and highly paid actors off of the screen and putting one person up there, and I just thought it was a wonderful. Uh, way to start the start the movie, Luke. Um, how did you like that? How did you like the movie in general, just generally? And then we'll start to get uh, some more specific thoughts. So I'm really going to use 100 percent of my brain for this one. I thought the movie was good. <laughs> Very good. Right. Excellent. Um, no, I wouldn't say it was excellent, but it was good. And I have the pea brain. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean. We can get into that later on uh, on Colby Cast After Dark. Um, but it was good. The Patreon show? Yeah. <laughs> it was good. Um, I didn't... It didn't knock my socks off, um, but I, I still liked it. It sort of felt... It's so funny because, like, you guys kept saying that Thor Love and Thunder was, like, all over the place. And I felt like this movie was sort of all over the place. I think you're right. I, I think, think you a, a point. Yeah. there was a lot of, like, it would be really serious and then, like, a corny one-liner. And then really serious again. And then it would completely change locations and dialogue. And a lot of it was sort of, like... Why, why are we going in this direction? Mm-hmm. And then, like, oh, okay, now we are. But now we're going in a different direction. And that didn't make it bad by any means. I still enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I liked the first Black Panther more. Sure. Okay. Um, but I still think it was good. It's difficult to have the momentum that the first Black Panther film had in this one. Because it... It, it couldn't. No, yeah, it yeah. had to shift yeah. yep. because logistically you can't yep. continue. No. Chadwick, he died. Yep. You have to completely... I like the term that you and Ross were using in the House of the Dragon recap uh, episode. It was story building. I know that's not yep. unique to you guys, yep. but I like the way you guys used it. They had to story build again. Mm-hmm. They had to define what is next before jumping way ahead. Yep. They're building the foundation because it's quite literally in shambles and you can see it in the throne room in the actual film, but you have to have a starting point all over again. Yeah. And for me, it reminded me sort of like Endgame where now Tony Stark is snapping mm-hmm. and he's getting everything back, mm-hmm. but everything's still just sort of in limbo. Mm-hmm. That's where I felt after the tribute to Chadwick and T'Challa um, ended and then they lost more. Yeah. Oh. That was cr- I didn't think that they would go that deep in it. Yeah. I'm not upset that they did, but nonetheless, they really dug deep. Yeah. They pretty much removed all the guts and everything yeah. and started from scratch. So I like where it is at the end of the movie. I'm curious to know what it's going to look like for other movies because I know... T'Challa and the Black Panther were going to be a huge part of yeah. the Avengers and everything else. And I'm hoping that doesn't change because I liked Shuri's transition from the beginning to the end. I thought it was a little bit um, iffy and wonky in certain areas, but I'm not going to be that guy. Like, I still, I, I really love that Shuri is now the Black Panther. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree. Um, I, 
Here's here here are my thoughts on the movie. I think first to to start out, I think Ryan Coogler and everybody involved in in making this movie had an impossible task. It's an it was impossible. You you not only did you lose your leading star, but you lost a leading star that had become a worldwide icon, who had become probably more recognizable with his character than arguably um, Robert Downey Jr. and Tony Stark or or Chris Evans and um, and Steve Rogers, you know, go down the list. Chadwick Boseman meant as much, if not more, to this role as those guys did to their roles. And uh, Scarlett Johansson and Natasha Romanoff, same thing. Like these are inseparable faces from characters, and Chadwick Boseman was that. And you mentioned it. Um, you know, he suffered in silence. He he played his strong role all the way to the end. You know, and the movie was already in some kind of development, right? Ryan Coogler had an idea, had a, maybe even had a story written, or at least the the skeleton of a of a sequel written. Um, and he, they had to change, they had to change gears, you know, drastically. Uh, so for them to come in and do what they did, I think is a great achievement because, in my opinion, they met the task. They didn't shy away. They were courageous. They Im- immediately. Almost immediately, they said, "We're not recasting T'Challa. We're not recasting the Black Panther. He is. We we are going to figure out a story that is not going to involve that. And that that that's a courageous thing to do because you could have you could have done that. You could have tried to repurpose old film. You could have m- tried to manipulate what you had. And they decided they weren't going to do that. So they basically, you know, they Shuri mentioned burning the world right in the movie. They burnt that world. They burnt what story they had, and they started over." And that takes a ton of courage, and I think that they did a good job at accomplishing that. Um, the performances in this movie, I think, are award-worthy, right? Um, Angela Bassett, um, uh, Lupita Nyong'o, Nyong'o uh, even Leticia Wright, she she had a really strong performance. Um, uh, what's um, Namor's name? Um, uh, Tenok Huerta is his name. He was fantastic. So the performances in this movie were right up there with everything else. I thought the visuals were incredible. I mentioned the first scene, you know, where they're all dressed in this stark white, um, beautiful gowns and gosh, just everything about Wakanda, beautiful. The, uh, the, the, uh, Namor's people, you know, the, the, the costume design in that is all grade A. I mean, this is all, everybody brought their, their uh, a game and that includes ludwig Göransson. the music in this was fantastic and ludwig Göransson is the same guy that does that did the first black panther score as well as mandalorian he's he's he is a superstar this guy is really knocking everything out of the park when he does it i don't even know how he has enough time to write all this music like how do you do that um you know he all of those things i just thought were top-notch for me it was so it was just so so sad. The whole movie was so 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 sad. And you mentioned it, Caleb. You said, you know, I, I you know, I try not to have expectations and I try not to go into something hoping for one thing or the other. I don't try to drive the roller coaster, I ride the roller coaster, right? I've said it before. Um that said, in a movie where you're honoring a fallen character and a fallen actor. I thought it was pretty stark to also go as far as killing the queen, right? And then I thought, you know, that was just such a gut punch 
Shuri was alone. She's left by herself, right? And for a long stretch of the of the film, I thought that was very emotionally heavy and sad. I found myself really, really not wanting the two groups of people that are fighting each other. I didn't want them to be fighting each other, right? I, I felt like these were two wonderful groups of people, two wonderful cultures. And I just struggled with the fact that they were fighting each other. But I know that that's the story that they were going to tell. It was just, to me, very, it was heavier than I was ready to watch, right? With the whole part of dealing with T'Challa and dealing with Chadwick Boseman's loss. They continued to go down that heavy path. And I'm very grateful and thankful that they ended the way that they did because... Um, if it had ended another way, I, I would have felt like I, I, I would feel too upset, I think. Just that it it needed that hope that it ended with. It needed that conclusion that it had because there was just so much heavy emotion going through the whole thing. And I'm not, I'm not saying that as a criticism or as a bad thing. That's the story that he told and they effectively told it. But for me, I just thought that it was just, it was just so sad. That's the word I keep using is it's, it, it was just so sad, so... I agree with you that a lot of parts were really sad, but I think with Marvel, you either have to go all in or don't even try. Yeah. And, you know, as, as much as a criticism or as much of a critic as I am of She-Hulk, they went all in. They did. And I think if you're going to have a movie as heavy and as deep with as many, you know, deaths and significant losses... Mm-hmm as that movie has, you got to go all in. And I don't feel like they did, right? And I'm not saying that it needs to be, like, super dark and sad all the time. I get it, Marvel's Disney, and it's a little bit lighter. But, like, there were a couple, like, really cheesy one-liners. There were, like, two or three times where I, like, I don't want to hate on the character because she's brand new, but Riri Williams, mm-hmm. oh, my God. It was just, like, they just picked, like, cheesy catchphrases out of a generator or something, and... It was like, it just sort of killed the mood at times for me. This is going to be Thor Love and Thunder all over again. Because Riri Williams, I was going to wait for this later, was my favorite character in the entire film. Without a doubt. And it was because of those moments. Mm -hmm. It was because of her seeing the technology that she'd never seen outside of what she builds herself. Mm -hmm. In full flood. She goes, and it's sort of like a, oh my God, what just happened moment. And she goes... Where do I get one of those? Mm-hmm. I just thought that was perfect timing because when I think of the first Wakanda, or I'm sorry, Black Panther movie, yeah. it's a culture. It's mm-hmm. a, it's almost like invigorating. It's just such an exciting movie and you can watch it and walk away from it and you're just like, man, that was a great movie. Leading up to this after Chadwick's passing, it was automatically, in my mind, super heavy and they couldn't be anything but that. You can't right. just gloss over the tribute at the beginning of the movie and then have it be a Thor love and thunder. You go and you have these moments where you're picking up the, the, the tempo a little bit. You're picking up the overall vibe of the movie with those jokes that Riri was making. Don't get me wrong. I know that a lot of it was very cheesy. Mm -hmm. I hate random slow motion in movies Uh and there was ample moments of that in this movie. And I just looked at it. I was like, what? That was literally audibly what I did. And it wasn't very loud because I wasn't going to join the 
array of sounds that were surrounding yeah, us, yeah. but I still loved Ironheart. And they didn't say her name, which right. I am not against because who needs to to be that right, right on uh, right off the bat, right? right? But I just like that she's from MIT. Mm-hmm. She's pretty much self-made. Mm-hmm. She just has the brain. And she reminded me a lot of Peter Parker, mm-hmm. just in her own way. They're not in the same lane. They just have similarities. And her wit, I loved. I loved every second of it. And I don't think there was one moment where I was like, that wasn't really necessary. So here I go. I'll navigate down the middle of the two. So it's not a completely Thor Love and Thunder thing. I I enjoyed Riri Williams as a character. I think she's really cool. I like that she's a part of the MCU now. And I'm looking forward to seeing Ironheart. I'm looking forward because that's going to be coming next year, Disney Plus show. So I'm looking forward to seeing um, her as a character. I think the actress did a, a, a great job. Um, her name is Dominique Thorne. And I think that she, the reason I think she was effective was because, to your point, Caleb, in this massively heavy, thematic, dramatic, almost operatic tale, you need that breath of fresh air where you're able to gather yourself for a second and just take a breath. I thought she provided that in a lot of ways. And I think that she, uh, Mbaku also provided that he, in his way. Um, Ross and, and uh, Everett Ross and Valen, uh, Valentina Contessa Val, whatever her name is <laughs> also did as, as well. But th- so that's where I think she was effective. The cheesy dialogue, I think Luke, to your point I caught onto that as well, and I actually caught onto it in a different scene, and it was right after Namor's um, origin story that we were treated to, which is very difficult, very heavy, and then they go back to Shuri and uh, and Namor, and and he makes like this really offhanded, just really quick, quippy line about oh, it's it's like when um, I think he says something about oh yeah, if you go down there, your body will be crushed because of the pressure. But we have a suit, and he just walks away. I I thought that sort of missed the mark, right? I know what they're trying to do. That's a very Marvel thing to do. They like their quips and stuff. So, yeah, I saw I, – I think that that was more along the lines of writing. I I don't think that the that the um, introduction of Riri Williams was, a, was as effective as, say, Peter Parker's introduction or even T'Challa's introduction in Civil War. Those were almost like perfectly handled in my opinion. This one seemed like they, to me, it almost seemed like we need to get Riri in this film because we're going to have Ironheart. So let's, let's write something that's going to involve her rather than have her be this organic part of the story. Because that's the one thing that I, I was, I sort of got lost even where like, why are, why are the people from Talocan and Wakanda fighting? I actually asked myself that in a second, like, I, I got it, like I understood most of the, in general, but I got lost in a lot of the movements. Like w- one scene, we're running through the forest with Everett Ross, and the next next scene, we're in we're in, at MIT, and then the next scene, we're underwater, and then the next scene, we're in Wakanda. Next thing, we're, we we've got Namor meeting the Queen on a beach, and it, that's that sort of to your point, Luke. In the beginning, it sort of stuffed the movie so full of things. I don't think that they needed all of that. They probably could have benefited from a little bit more streamline. But then if you do that, then you lose Riri, right? You don't, you probably don't have a place to put Riri. And I'm glad that she's here. I'm glad that she's a part of the show and the MCU now, because 
it's another part of this phase four set, setting of the table to introduce all these new young characters that are going to be carrying things forward, you know, for who knows how long. So, um, you know, I, I think that there were good and good things and bad things that sort of surrounded itself around Riri. But as far as the character goes, I'm looking forward to seeing more of her. Yeah, I agree. Not to say that I don't like the character, but it was sort of like, you know, mix some sauces, right? It's like, you know, some people might like it, you know? Yeah. But I, it just, I, I don't like when, uh, I, I like when people take risks in, in film and in any art form really. And I understand that it can be hit or miss, but I don't see the point of going one foot in the door, one foot out Mm -hmm. because I think you said it perfectly. M'Baku was the perfect segue to like, make sure that it wasn't, too deep and too sad because yeah. he still made it fun and I, I love Mbaku he's hilarious yeah. but he, he he also provided some wisdom and some very important parts and I That's think true. I think it's important like you can't just have one character there for corny lines and I don't think that that's a great way to bring in a character mm-hmm. because there was one scene where it was like right after um, where Shuri like had just gotten stabbed or something mm-hmm. and like the spear went through her and then they cut back over to the ship and Rhea Williams is going around in her suit, which I don't know how I feel about the suit. Like it was sort of cool, but like, I don't know. I was talking to a coworker of mine and I don't think that the design of that suit was particularly effective. I sort of got Power Ranger vibes and I'm not a Power Ranger fan. It was too plasticky for me. Yeah. It was, it, it was it's, it's Iron Man tech. And I'm used to seeing, and she has a, she has roots in Stark. She in the comics, she's a like she's connected to Tony Stark. They didn't really do that here with with her in the movie. But the suit was. I'm just hoping that she makes some upgrades to her next suit for the next show because that was a little plasticky. I think. No, <laughs> no, I'm so far on the other side. I loved her suit because she's so similar to Iron Man. Mm-hmm. I loved that it was. Power Rangery. I love that she had like wings. I love that she had her own little iron heart. And it was just, I wouldn't say I would buy it for myself, but I liked a lot that it was just so different compared to Iron Man. And it needed to be because I don't hear anybody, I'm not listening, I don't hold my phone up to Twitter, right? But I don't see anybody saying, oh, Ironheart is just a ripoff of Iron Man. Right. I haven't seen that once. And no. it, I think it was because they did a good job of making sure that there wasn't any cross, uh, sauce crosses crossed. I'm having it. Sauce, sauce sauces crossed. Yes. Any lines just intertwined. Oh, that was good. Lines intertwined. Yeah, I, I can agree with that. And, you know, it's you really have to stay away from that because then you just get they'll never be able to get out of that shadow. Exactly. And that's why I, I can agree with that. But I also think that, you know, dialogue and costume design and everything, it needs to be original and everything, yes, but, you know, it being bad and original doesn't mean it's good, right? But not to say that it's bad necessarily, but the line that I was referencing was... I think it was like right after the fight scene, it was like super heavy. It cuts over and Ironheart's flying around, like shooting people with her arm cannon. And she says something like, oh, no, you don't. <laughs> and I I thought like, what, what was the thought process there? 
when they were reading it, because I always picture, I always wonder these actors' reactions to like when they have to say a corny line. They think like, "Are you serious right now?" <laughs> like, <laughs> so to you just made me think of Harrison Ford and George Lucas, and I don't know if this is a true story or not, but apparently George Lucas told, I'm sorry, Harrison Ford told George Lucas at one point. You can write this bleep, George, but you can't say it. <laughs> so, you know, that's like the kind of moment you're talking about. And yes, you're right. There were some of those um, moments. And that's just, that goes to the writing, right? Uh, and and I caught on to a couple of those moments too. There, I, I don't know that that kind of humor worked in a movie like this. Exactly. Right? There exactly. there was a place for, like like you mentioned and Mars I did. Right. You don't, you, Yeah. So the quippy one-liners that Marvel's really, really good at, I'm not sure had a place in this movie. Um, But at any rate, let's move on to another character. Oh, did you have something else? Well, I was going to bring up a character who I really liked. I loved Namor. Yeah. Namor was such an interesting character, and I feel like we didn't really get to see him, like, you know, go all out. He always he he always looked like he was holding his pulling his punches a little bit, mm. and he ripped through Wakanda. That's a scary thought. And like he was flying around, he, and I thought it was the way that he was described was perfect by Mbaku. He said they don't call him king; mm-hmm. they call him I won't even Kukulakan. Kukulakan, the feather serpent god, mm-hmm. and that's such an interesting concept. And Kukulkan. Yeah, but he said it a little bit cooler than me. <laughs> well, he's in Baku. He's yeah, way he, cooler than both of us. Oh, uh, I wouldn't say way cooler, but he's cooler. Um, <laughs> way cooler than me. <laughs> but he was he was a really cool character, and I'm glad that they left it somewhat open ended, because yeah. I'm really excited to see where that goes. Me too, and I I know that they had massive changes to the character from the comics, and I think that they did great with the way that they did it. I love the backstory that he got. I love the fact that they've that they've uh, tied it into Mayan culture. I love... I just... I really enjoy what the MCU is doing through Phase 4, which is making the MCU look way more like the world we live in, and they're doing a really good job at that, uh, of making everyone look the way that the world does and this was one area of the world that really hadn't been represented too much and they did a great job in representing that and if i can just just piggyback on on namor real quick i won't uh, i mean we have so much to talk about so we're going to keep moving but one thing that namor and the introduction of um the mayan culture and a lot and spanish being spoken when lupita nyongo was asking that elderly lady and trying to find out where she needs to go to to find Talocan, and she spoke Spanish. I was like, I thought it was the older lady speaking Spanish at first, and come to find out, Lupita Nyong'o was born in Mexico. She then moved with because her, her her father was teaching at a university in Mexico. Then early on in her life, she moved back to Kenya, where her family is from. But then as a teenager, she went back to Mexico to learn Spanish, to take classes in Spanish. So she is, um, she's a native Spanish speaker, and she spoke it so beautifully. It was just, I, I want to watch that part again, just that part. I mean, there's a lot of parts I want to watch, but I want to go back and, and hear her speaking Spanish again because she 
oh my gosh, I was so impressed. It was just, it was beautiful to hear her speak Spanish. And I was so happy and to know that not only, you know, she's a professionally trained actress. Of course, she's going to learn how to, to pronounce things and, and speak in certain ways. Uh, but she actually speaks the, the language in, in real life. And that just made me so happy. Um, Caleb, you had, uh, you had a question or something you were going to say? I'm always a fan of Easter eggs. And one of my favorite Easter eggs is just normal people, celebrities, whatever it is, wanting to be in certain franchises. It was a huge thing when people were trying to get into Star Wars. They were just throwing them in a stormtrooper and yeah, costume, whatever. Kamaru Usman is one of the best UFC fighters in the world, fortunately. Yes, he lost. Yeah, he lost. <laughs> so he is, but he's coming off a loss. I like him a lot. He just showed up out of nowhere in this movie, twice. Oh, he was. I didn't see him. Yeah, I'll point him out to you when it comes out on Disney Plus. But he was just—he was one of the the tribe members in Green, mm-hmm. and he's the one who told Mbaku to watch his tone. I don't remember that. <laughs> uh, he was like one of the people who like they brought in after Namor snuck in, uh-huh. and they're like, "You're supposed to guard the river or whatever," and then. Um, he, like Mbaku started giving him a hard time, and then he was like, watch your tone, and then like that's when the Queen Mother stepped in. Gotcha. Like I said, I'll show you when it comes yeah. out on Disney+, Plus because it was just a really small part, mm-hmm. but I'm sure it probably meant the world to him, sure. and it probably meant the world to his kids, sure. because like I said, the first Black Panther movie was a culture thing. It yeah. wasn't just a movie. Yeah. It yeah. took the world by storm. Anybody who was anybody was throwing their arms across their chest saying Wakanda forever. Yeah. And... I just thought that was a cool Easter egg, mm-hmm. and I just want to talk about the general. I Okoye is that Okoye, how you name? Okoye, yeah. Okay, she's another underrated character Lower, to me. Yeah. I didn't like that she had to turn in her mm. her spear. The queen was doing what she felt was necessary. I didn't like the way that she spun it in a way that she wasn't doing what was right for yeah. her people anymore yeah. because that wasn't true. Yeah. With that said, I'm using that all as a segue to say that I'm so glad that they didn't make Namor's people look like Avatar. Oh, yeah. I w- when they showed the trailer and they were blue, mm-hmm. I was so scared that it was just going to be uh, like a carbon copy version. Mm-hmm. But it was so different and yeah. it was so cool. Yeah. And it was so much better than the Aquaman audio where they're trying to talk underwater and it just sounds like they're just gurgling water. <laughs> this was so much better. So was, DC, yeah, cool. take notes. Um, but the the real warriors, like the main warriors, were were just so, so cool. There was Okoye going hand-to-hand with anybody on screen yeah, and yeah. beating them all. Yeah. And all of a sudden, she's literally getting body slammed mm-hmm. to ab- into oblivion by both of their main warriors. And I just thought those fight scenes were the best fight scenes in the movies. Mm-hmm. And I want to see more of those guys. Yeah. And I like where they left it with the unknown. And I'm curious to see how big of an impact the villainous character of Namor, because he's not a villain. No. He's not a bad guy. He has manipulative tendencies, so that makes him dangerous. But I like that it wasn't just a one movie off villain. Yeah. Yeah. He's going to play a part in one way or another. Yeah. Um, two things about what you said. First of all, make Okoye an Avenger now. Like, make her just, she should be an Avenger because she is fantastic. Every scene she's in, I think she, she just steals the scene. Uh, secondly, um, uh, Ryan Coogler 
has the heavyweight championship belt of Marvel villains, quote unquote villains. Because think about the movies he's made. Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. Think about the villains in those movies. Killmonger and Namor. Two of the best, if not the best. I, and I know that they're listed as villains, but the reason that they're not villains is because of how good Ryan Coogler has written them or come up with them. Killmonger, in, in the same vein as Thanos, you don't agree with the way he's going about accomplishing his goals, but his goals are, n- are not necessarily wrong. Right. Well, Thanos is wrong. Was wrong. Absolutely, there's no right. question. No, it was not. Killmonger was trying to avenge. He was trying to fight for the people with no power, and that is an admirable, admirable thing. He just did it the wrong way. Uh, Namor is protecting his people. He's just protecting his people, and 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 that was part of the sadness that I was dealing with throughout the movie, which was, come on, they're sitting there next to each other, Shuri and Namor sitting next to each other. And I literally said in my brain over the loudness in the theater, um, you got to find a better way. You, you have to find a better way than this. You don't have to fight each other. You don't have to go to war with each other. Find a better way. And they ended up fighting, finding a better way, but how m- many lives were lost, including the queen. Right. So, but again, very sympathetic antagonist right he all he wants to do is protect his people and i think that you know ryan coogler just keep pumping out fantastic antagonists because he obviously knows how to do it he knows how to do it and so kudos to him um so we've talked about a lot of the characters that i put down on the list that i wanted to talk about um but we haven't talked about the black panther (laughs) but before we get to shuri uh, because i want to hear your thoughts on shuri I I just wanted to talk one more take one more um, opportunity to talk about Nakia, which I think is and we'll we'll probably save it for the last obviously because of the um, the last scene and the and the the post credits or the in mid mid credit scene. But I just really think Nakia is an interesting character because she obviously loves Wakanda, she loves her people, she loves her uh, her home, but she goes out and she helps people, and she did this again. And obviously we found out why she stayed away. But when her queen came to her and asked for help, she it was no question about it. And she is one of the most effective and cunning soldiers. I, I, you know, make her an Avenger too. Like she's like um, mm-hmm. Black Widow level, uh, with, you know, infiltration. In, in, with infiltration, that kind of stuff. She, I mean, she found uh, Talokan. She found this, the, uh, this underwater place where Shuri and Riri were being held. Uh, so I just, I, I, I love the actress. I love the character and I'm really glad that she's still around um, because you never know going into movies, what characters are going to make it out of it. So that was just my, my Nakia moment, which I, and I always um, think about Miss Marvel with Nakia and our conversation about Nakia and versus Nakia. That was difficult <laughs> in, the, in the beginning of Miss Marvel. Um, but let's talk about Shuri because this really was Shuri's movie. This ended up being Shuri's movie, and and nobody really, I don't think they we really expected it, but it was really a movie about Shuri and her grief and her anger, and it mirrored a lot of T'Challa in Civil War because they were both driven by vengeance for a long time um, and ended up coming to a place of leaving that vengeance alone or gone uh, and, and overcoming that, and... I sort of struggled watching her get to that point because she got really dark for a long time. 
And at times where I thought she was going to sort of turn the corner, she didn't. And then I started to get more and more worried. When she took the heart-shaped herb and she went to the ancestral plane, I mean, to walk around that throne and see Killmonger, like I got chills. First of all, what a fantastic way to bring Killmonger into this movie. And number two, he was still Killmonger. Right, just because he was in the ancestor plane, he had not changed his ideology one one bit, and he was bestowing that ideology on on Shuri, and it made me worried. I think it was an important distinction that they made that they weren't in the ancestral plane; they were in the throne room. Mm. None of the other ancestors were around. Good point. It was just the two of them, and I thought it was an important distinction because when T'Challa was becoming the Black Panther, he got to see probably other leaders like him. Mm -hmm. Although he and his father weren't the same, Mm -hmm. they had similar ideologies. Mm -hmm. Well, that's what they did here, talking Killmonger and Shuri. They're coming from a place of vengeance, coming from a place of I'm going to do whatever I need to Mm -hmm. do to, in my mind, Mm -hmm. avenge the people that you killed. Mm -hmm. Not for my people, but for my loved ones. Yeah. And it isn't necessarily a, I'm going to avenge your deaths. It's I'm going to hurt you the way you hurt them mm-hmm. to appease myself, mm-hmm. like you said. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it logistically it was really, really cool to bring Michael B. Jordan back in because everybody was on the conspiracy theory train where it's like, oh, Chadwick's gone. Mm-hmm. We need another strong character right. to fill in the Black Panther bring role. Killmonger back bring somehow. Killmonger back somehow. Yeah. And... He shows up in credits. He shows up here. He shows up at the, at the premiere, all this different stuff. People who've seen it before, did, I'm so glad they weren't just, just huge spoilers yeah. where they let the people actually enjoy it who actually wanted to go see it. Yeah, me too. Um, but still bringing a great character like Killmonger back yeah. and allowing Shuri to be literally face-to-face with who she can become if yeah. she lets this just rottenness in her just continue to grow and yeah. overwhelm her. Yeah. So... Kudos to them because I am a big fan of Michael B. Jordan in, in general. So, yeah. I thought it was a creative way to bring him back. Um, one quick thing about that before I, I uh, ask Luke about his take on Shuri was uh, Jen Bankard from The Long Take. She ma- made a very good point about the ancestral plane. So whether or not it was ancestral plane or not, when she took that heart-shaped herb, uh, Jen's point, I think it was a really smart one, very, very uh, smart one is – she saw what she needed to see, right? So what she saw was Killmonger uh, and Killmonger, and like to your point, she saw what she could become. And that's when I sort of, I guess I was hoping for the change to occur where she would now become, you know, leave that vengeance behind because she was face to face with this sort of this monster. Uh, and when she didn't, that just made me worried, right? And it, and it continued to compound that heavy sadness that, I was experiencing through the movie. Uh, so I was glad to see the way that she did come to that. Um, but, you know, again, at what cost? It just, you know, they, they took too long. They just took too long and too many people were lost. Um, especially in a movie that was about loss. I could have I could have had less, a little bit less loss, I guess. Uh, okay. I'm sort of on the opposite side. I don't think they needed to lose more. But it felt like they were harming and killing the higher ups in the Wakandan world mm-hmm. while the rest of them were just suffering because of that. 
where I thought Namor said, I'm going to come back and destroy Wakanda. Mm-hmm. That's sort of what I expected them to do mm-hmm. and then let them build up. But they chose what they chose, and I'm not upset with it. I also like seeing like the non-super high up and built up part of Wakanda. I thought that was a big part of the movie that I liked. Their highlights of individuals on both sides of the equation in this movie I thought was really magnificent. They focused, they took their time to focus on children, on regular people in both societies. And I thought that that was really excellent. Uh, Luke, we're going to, after uh, after we hear your thoughts on Shuri, um, we're going to do what all podcasters do. And we're going to rank the phase four movies. So here you go. You have the final word on the, really the Wakanda Forever experience. Uh, but let me know about about your thoughts on Shuri. Notice that we really haven't talked much about Ross or or the Contessa because honestly, I don't know that they needed to be in the movie. <laughs> to be honest, I, I that's part of that that um, bloated sort of section of the movie that that you were talking about in the beginning, Luke. So, but I, I mean, I enjoyed seeing Ross is cool, and then of course Val is another connection to this new phase that we've moved into and okay, great. They were married. That's awesome. But I just don't know that all that needed to be, um, uh, so focused on. So Shuri, let's hear what you have to say about uh, Shuri and the new black Panther. They were dealt a very rough hand and they went with the best possible option. It's still a downgrade, not to say that it's bad, but you know, you can't, you can't beat the original, and yeah. I think that they did the best with, that they could. Um, and I agree. I don't think it took this much loss to get her to this point. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, that's the route they went, so I guess it's fine. But I'm excited to see, because we didn't really see the new Shuri very much at all. No, no. Right? No. We got, like, just pretty much the very... The what was the mid credit scene mm-hmm. was pretty much all we really got to see of her as like a new leader, mm-hmm. right? No, it wasn't even as a leader, but just no. her as a in a new light, more mature, and you know she's in a more place overcome she's... her grief a little bit more, yeah. and I'm excited to see where that goes. But they made it a point to show how young and immature she was early on, and that can be a little annoying, but it was more frustrating than anything where you. You think like, come on, you're supposed to be so good and all this pressure's on you. Like, step up, step up, step yeah, up. And she yeah. didn't. And then she did at the end, yeah. which was cool. Um, I just hope that they don't make her her own thing. Mm-hmm. Don't don't make her like anyone else. And, and they didn't try to make her like Chadwick. And I don't think they will try to make her Black Panther like his Black Panther. But I think it's very important that she gets to be the same with like uh sam wilson Mm -hmm. he was his own thing he's his own thing and he's not even close to being like steve rogers Mm -hmm. and i hope they go that route Mm -hmm. and if they do i think that she's a great addition to have and i mean her suit was so cool and her fighting style was really cool too so it, it should be fun but i think that i guess this is a good segue into the list but actually let's do one last thing before okay. we get to that list. But what I was what I was gonna say was it's she's good, not great, is what I'll end with. 
she's at a good starting point. She's a very she has the opportunity to become her yeah. very distinct self. Um, so I, how could I even possibly think about stopping our conversation about Wakanda Forever without talking about that final scene and especially the mid credit scene because I needed that. I personally needed that. And I'm so glad that they included not only her going to Haiti and burning those funeral uh, garments, showing us what she learned through her mother as part of moving on and coming to a place of peace. I thought that was important. But when the credits rolled and um, Rihanna's song, which is very beautiful, came, came on and was playing, and then they went back to Haiti in that beach, they, they started out with uh, shooting it from, from behind Shuri, and then they switched camera angles to show her face and we could see behind her. And I saw these two figures walk through and I immediately, I audibly gasped. So I contributed to the noisy theater experience. I audibly gasped because I knew that was Nakia walking out and she had uh, a young person next to her. And I was so thrilled to see, when from the moment I watched the first ep- um, the first trailer for this movie, I was hoping that somehow they worked a, a child in for T'Challa. It was it was something that I was actually hoping for, I mean, just because I thought that that symbolized that yes we've lost T'Challa we've lost Chadwick Boseman but now but we still have a part of him and in this universe we'll get to experience that legacy that he that he left and when they brought him out what a charming and beautiful little boy oh my god that his dimples I think mom said you could put quarters in his dimples or something like that. And he was just so charming and so nice. And I felt that that was a beautiful bow to put on this on this movie to finish it off with, not just to finish the movie, but now to move in the direction of... I, I think, honestly, what the most important thing for me was is that Shuri is not alone now. Because at the end, she's not the queen of Wakanda. I mean, she was... M'Baku was there for that challenge. The, I, it leads, leads me to believe that he's going to be the ruler of Wakanda, which I'm good with. But Shuri was she was by herself, but now she has Nakia. Now she has uh, Prince T'Challa, right, Toussaint. Um, and I think that, that that was a really beautiful way to, to end everything off. One thing that I liked about Shuri is that she was very against tradition. Mm-hmm. She didn't, when she took the purple herb, she didn't go and be buried. She didn't anything traditional in Wakanda. She wasn't doing. And I seriously think that she's going to make the division between king or queen of Wakanda and the Black Panther. Yeah, I agree. So I'm all for her being sort of the muscle of Wakanda yeah. while the muscle of Wakanda is now the king. So <laughs> I have no problem with that. I thought it was very funny that all of a sudden now Umbaku is like, I'm here to challenge, yeah. you know. And there's nobody. To there's nobody to challenge, but it was the same thing he did in the the yeah. the original Black Panther, yep. and I just loved his maturity because time has passed. If you were passing time and not growing as a character, as a person in general, you're not really doing what you're supposed to be doing. And I'm glad that he was not just a meathead, yeah. which is funny because he made a joke about vegetables. <laughs> All right, so. With uh, and real quick, we don't have to do t- a ton of exposition on this because we've gone, we've done this now a couple times since we've started the podcast and recapped Marvel movies. We'll we're gonna rank them. We're gonna a new mo- movie is out, so that means our ranking has to shift. I'll go first, and I'm gonna start with number seven because there were seven films in Phase Four. This film ends Phase Four. 
Um, we still have the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special, which I'm really looking forward to, but that doesn't necessarily is it's not a four or a five thing. Five opens up with Ant-Man in February. So we've got the closing, the phase four is finished. What a wild ride it was. Uh, and I'm going to start my ranking with number seven, and that's the Eternals. Six is Thor Love and Thunder. Five is Multiverse of Madness. Four is Shang-Chi. Three is Black Widow. Two is Wakanda Forever. And one is still No Way Home. So that's my ranking. That's my order. And Luke, you're up. Well, if I could put Eternals lower than seven, I would. (laughs) But I can't, so I won't. I'll go seven Eternals, six Shang-Chi, five Black Widow, four Black Panther, three Multiverse of Madness, two Thor Love and Thunder, and one No Way Home. Okay. So number seven is Thor Love and Thunder. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. (laughs) <laughs> uh, Eternals, number seven. As you can see, we're a big fan of this. Yeah. Um, for me, I sort of juggled around with it. I'm going to put Thor as number six, Shang-Chi five, Multiverse of Madness, then Black Panther, Black Widow, and No Way Home. Nice. Very interesting. Very interesting. Very, I, I love that. Black Widow. It, I, I think it just says a lot that a Marvel movie was made that told the story of an underwater kingdom and they still didn't mention that big celestial head in the ocean. <laughs> it's literally in the ocean. So that says a lot of what Marvel thinks about the Eternals as well. Eternals was fine. It was a good effort. You guys got points for, for trying. So, But, yeah, it's not going to be very high on our list. I had the Multiverse of Madness above Black Panther, which I know might be a hot take. I know the movie gets a lot of flack, but some parts of it were incredible. I think some parts of it were some of the best Marvel scenes we've ever seen. And I think some of it was just really weird and unnecessary, but there were some parts that I really loved about it. And you could say the same thing about Black Panther, but I think that the um it was just it was it was good. It was like a 6.8 to a 7.2. And I don't think it's going to be much lower and I don't think it's going to be much higher for me. It's just going to like really level there. Interesting. 6.8, it's very detailed. Um <laughs> Well, I I think that's going to do it for our Wakanda Forever talk. I was looking forward to hearing what you guys had to think. You guys did not uh, did not disappoint in any way, shape, or form. Always a fun and lively conversation. Uh, thank you all for listening. We would love to know what you guys think about Wakanda Forever. Uh, let us know. Send us a tweet if Twitter still exists when this episode drops, and uh, or on Instagram as well. Um, so thank you all for listening, and we'll see you soon. Oh, Caleb has something to say. They dropped the M word and we'd even talk about it. They talked about mutants. Namor gave himself the mutant tag. He certainly did. So we'll see. I love how they're just sprinkling in that whole idea. They keep, I love the way they're doing it. So, um, you know, maybe we should just do a phase four discussion episode one of these days because I think there's a lot we could say about this is a really weird phase. Uh, so maybe, we, you know, one of these days down the road. But back to the task at hand. Thank you all for listening. Take good care of each other, and we'll see everybody soon. You can find The Colby Cast on Twitter and Instagram at The Colby Cast. If you're wordy, like me, you can send an email to thecolbycast at gmail.com. Please subscribe to the show and leave a review on your favorite podcast app or wherever you listen to podcasts.
This podcast is not endorsed by anyone or anything for that matter. It is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. All original content of this podcast is the intellectual property of the Colby cast, unless otherwise indicated. That'll do, donkey. That'll do.